Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. I hope you're well. This year, I found myself in the somewhat undesirable position of being pregnant and not being ready to be. I made the choice to terminate the pregnancy, and it's not one I regret at all. Throughout this, I was supported by amazing friends, family, and my incredible partner. However, one of my best friends, one of my oldest friends, someone I've been close to for ten years, did not make the effort to support me. She didn't call. She barely texted. I've recently realised that she, in that time, met a new man and、uh, has been distracted with her new boyfriend. Maybe I wouldn't mind so much if this was an isolated incident, but it isn't. She has a history of behaving narcissistically, selfishly, and really only concerning herself with things that in some way affect her. I was listening to your episode on apologies and thinking about my relationship with this person in relation to Vanessa's relationship with her friend Sarah. I listened to Vanessa talk about how she didn't really accept the apology of her friend and perhaps has some regrets about that now. In listening to this episode, I realised that I don't really want an apology from my friend. That's quite a big realisation for me because I'm normally someone that demands justice. But I think what this means is that I'm done with the friendship. So, how does one have a friendship breakup without incurring anger, justification, defensiveness, apology bombing? You know, when they say, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry," and demand your forgiveness when you don't really want to give it. How do you respectfully part ways from someone who's been in your life for ten years without it being toxic or messy? I don't really have the energy to argue. I just kind of want to go our separate ways. It's really hard. Thanks. I'm Casper Turkile, and I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and this is the real question. Big thanks to those of you who've recently signed up for Patreon. Thank you to Malika J, Patricia K, Kirsten T, Holly L, Emily P, and Robert, who was so singularly Robert. <laughs>
that there was no last name. But we are so grateful to each and every one of you for supporting the show. We're completely listener supported. There's no ads on the show because of you. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who signed up to Patreon. And please do if you haven't yet. It's a great place to be. There's bloopers. Amen. Thank you, especially, especially Robert. I love making the show. And so thank you for letting me. So Casper, Ella's voicemail, I know, and it gets to the heart of my question today is how. I think I'm going to be bringing a lot of questions about friendship Mm. over the next several Mm. months. I think friendships are really the most important relationships we have in our lives. They're fluid. They are beautiful. They're supportive. They can be niche or expansive. Like I like really strongly believe in the power of friendship. And yet it can be so thorny. And so today, my only question is exactly Ella's question of when you know you have to break up with a friend, when you are 100% sure you don't want to talk to a friend anymore, how do you do it? Hmm. Oh, boy. I mean, I I hope it's okay if I'm bringing friendship questions, too, because I think like it's one of the most messy, beautiful, but also complicated relationships that we have because there aren't the same traditional expectations right around commitment or what it looks like or if you're living together, if you're married or if you're siblings, all of those can be plenty messy and complicated, too. But there's something undefined about friendships that I think makes it especially important for us to navigate carefully like this. Yeah. And I even want to spend several episodes talking about friend breakups because I feel like Mm. this this situation that I'm about to tell you about is like super clear cut to me. But there's sometimes where I'm like, I sort of want this friendship to end. Should I let it? Right. Yeah. Like there are even eight questions just about friend breakups. But today I'm really talking about exactly what Ella is talking about is like you're 100 percent sure somebody has done something that you're like not even interested in an apology. And yet you feel like you have to do something. So this yeah. is with a college roommate of mine. So she and I have been friends for almost 20 years. And you, Ariana, and I traveled to do a live show for Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, and we went to the city where this friend lives. We'll call her Sophie. And I hadn't seen her in years. I'd, like, watched her kids grow up on Instagram, but, like, really (laughs) hadn't seen her. We were mostly in touch, honestly, over Instagram DM. But, like, we talked fairly regularly that way and commented on each other's lives and were vaguely supportive of each other and... So I go out to lunch with her and her beautiful daughters, and she very sweetly like picked me up from our Airbnb to take me for lunch. And we're in the car driving to lunch. It's like the very beginning. And she has had the same job since she graduated from college. And so I was like, how's work? How's that going? And she went on a three to five minute anti-Semitic rant about her boss that he has not given her the appropriate raises because he's Jewish and hoards the money and those stereotypes come from somewhere and she can just never work with a Jew again because I mean, like, I'm not going to adjudicate this. I want I even want to be like she told me her salary and I was like, that's an absurd amount of money to make. But who knows how much he's making? And that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's a fair or unfair (laughs) boss. It does not come down to his Judaism. Anyway, she went on this very long anti-Semitic rant and I just sort of sat there. Her kids were in the car. I couldn't tell if she had forgotten that I was Jewish 
So I just sort of sat there and like vaguely changed the subject. And then we went to lunch with she and her two daughters and had sort of a a lovely lunch. Her kids are really cute. And then she dropped me off at the the Airbnb and she came to the show that night and was super supportive and hugged me. I like wasn't confrontational. We didn't end badly. If she knows that she messed up retroactively, I have no reason to think that. Yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, like we've stopped Instagram messaging. She'll message me sometimes. And like, honestly, I like just don't respond. I sort of passive aggressively heart her (laughs) messages and that's it. I don't feel like I owe her defending Jews or teaching her why what she said was wrong and teaching her the history of this anti-Semitic trope and that it comes from Elizabethan England. Like I've given that lecture and I I am too old and I don't care anymore. And I like don't want to hear her like just like Ella. Like I don't want to hear her apologize or justify it or tell me that's not what she meant or whatever. But my question is, like, what do I owe her? We've been friends for 20 years. Mm. We've gone through intense things together. And I do believe we owe each other things. Like, you owe your friends things. And I've just been vaguely holding on to that for the last two years, you know, and, like, not thinking about it regularly. Except, twist, you and I are going back to this city. And in the meantime, very close friend Katie who was part of this friend circle, has moved to the city. Definitely want to see Katie. Afraid Katie will somehow loop in Sophie and like post a picture on Instagram of us together and Sophie will see or that Sophie will find out and ask Katie or just like think it's sweet and show up at our live show. And so I have no idea how to handle this. I don't want to put Katie in the middle. She didn't do anything wrong. And like she can... Still be friends with Sophie. And I don't want to gossip about Sophie and be like, Katie, I don't know if you know this, but Sophie's an anti-Semite. And also, I don't want to be hurt if Katie just like chooses to be her friend, which I, I feel like would hurt me a little. Anyway, I have no idea what to do. We're going back to the city. I do not want to see Sophie. I super want to see Katie. Help. Wow. Okay. So a couple of things just to make sure I'm following. One option is like, really the option that you've been doing for the last two years, which is like, don't bring it up. Just try and make it go away. But now there's something that's coming up. There's this trip that you're going on, which is forcing the issue. And like, there's other relationships that now go beyond just the two of you that are going to force you together or make it awkward and obvious if you're not together. So the question is like, this live and let live kind of, you know, do nothing approach is no longer going to work. You have to make a decision. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly it. And it's so annoying because if I just loved Katie less, this could just continue to not exist. (laughs) But I really love Katie. Well, I mean, that's helpful because it feels like your relationship with Katie is actually what's on the line. Right. That's where the stakes are. Like, that's what you don't want to lose because of this difficult situation with Sophie. And I don't want to lose it in several ways. I didn't realize this until I was talking to you. So this has already been helpful. I'm afraid that Katie will think I'm being sensitive or like Mm. will demean or like undermine my reaction to this like truly deeply anti-Semitic long rant that I had to endure. I was like trapped in a car with cute kids. Like there was no escape from this anti-Semitic rant. And Katie is a wonderful person and I have no reason to be afraid of this except that I've been disappointed by people in the past on this topic. But I'm just scared she'll be like, what? Really? No. 
and like somehow somehow not engage with how awful it was. Well, I mean, it sounds like what you're worried about is that Katie, to some extent, maybe much less, but will do the same thing as Sophie. Yeah. Like not take anti-Semitism seriously. And then like now you have another friend who you thought was fine, kind of revealed to not not take this issue seriously. I also want to say, Vanessa, that like this wasn't a typical friendship complication where, you know, person A did this and person B misheard and then said that back and like both people were in some way at fault. Like you were with a friend who you trusted and she went off on a racist rant that was deeply personally hurtful to you as well as just generally offensive. And you have every right to be like, no, I don't want this person in my life. No doubt someone needs to educate her about anti-Semitism. That does not need to be you. So I I just, you know, let's set that foundation as we have this conversation. Because I, I don't want to lead you to some sort of like, well, is there some like reconciliation that can happen here? I mean, if someone else wanted to do that, sure. But like, that is not an imperative of this situation at all. I'm just so grateful to you saying that because that is the exact response that I'm afraid Katie won't give me. Yeah. I just think it's this anxiety of like a friend who I absolutely love and became close to legitimately, but just because we were freshman roommates. So I'm just like anxious. I'm like, I don't know who she is. And I, on this, I know who she is in so many other ways. I don't know who she is on this. And I'm not sure I want to find out. So I'm hearing two things, Vanessa, wrapped up in this one question is how do you have some sort of conversation with Sophie But also, how do you have some sort of conversation with Katie? Yeah. Vanessa, this is the part of the show that is my favorite part where I don't need to answer your question because you've brought your own texts. So I'm curious, what did you bring to help us think about this question of how to break up with a friend? So I first brought not Jacques Derrida's theory of friendship because I wouldn't understand it, (laughs) but an article about Jacques Derrida's theory of friendship because it's written in a language that I understand, which is not critical theory language. (laughs) (laughs) For all of us, I am grateful. Yes. The article is called What Jacques Derrida Understood About Friendship. And the subheading of it, just to give some context, is in The Politics of Friendship, which is a collection of essays that Jacques Derrida wrote and put together, the French philosopher seems to describe a bygone way of being, one racked with less anxiety about the bonds that tie us together. And it's by Hmm. Hua Su and published in The New Yorker. So what Su says, Derrida says (laughs) about friendship is like super helpful to me about about this idea of what we owe each other. And Derrida puts friendship in such large terms that I find it really helpful. He puts it in a really big scope. Hmm. And so here is what I'm going to be quoting. The intimacy of friendship, Derrida writes, lies in the sensation of recognizing oneself in the eyes of another. Mm. Derrida insists that the narrative of friendship requires us to constantly imagine how we may someday pay our friends eulogistic tribute. But, Derrida writes, it is not enough to know how to bear the other in mourning. One must love the future. Wow. So good, right? So good. Derrida is translated not just from the French to English, but then from English to English. So good. (laughs) So Sue is pointing out three things that Derrida said. One is that friendship is about seeing yourself in the eyes of someone else. 
that friendship is always about imagining what you would say about someone like after they are dead, but also just like imagining how you feel about them and what you think about them. But that friendship Mm. is also about loving the future, which I love this idea because I love the future. I am very scared about the future, but I love the future. So he's saying, right, like it can't just be about us picturing like what if this person dies today? What would I say? But it's also about believing in their capacity for change and growth. And I'm I'm sorry that I'm bringing such a complicated set of sentences because it's like three points, but it's not my fault. It's Derrida's. Festival, wow. I've never read any Derrida, and I want to read this New Yorker article because this is freaking fire. To be clear, I've never read Derrida. (laughs) (laughs) And just part of what I love about this article by Sue is that he goes over and over and he's like, and then there's a lot in this that I don't understand. And here's the next thing I understood. So he's also like, what the heck? Yeah. I, I just love so much of this imagery, right? That that sense of like, do I recognize myself in how someone else sees me? Like, does that feel both an accurate, which can be in itself condemning <laughs> experience, but also is it generous? Like, you know, there's, there's something in friendship, I think, that needs that. And I love that suggestion of time across friendship because you have some friendships that are built on shared experiences in the past, but that feel like they've completed, right? There isn't a future to them. So you have both that sense of like, if I were to tell the story at their funeral about our past, was that a good experience, right? Yes. But also, is there a future that we're moving forward together into? Yes or no. So this is a a beautiful reflection. So I'm curious, Vanessa, when you think of Sophie, which of these three still feels intact and which feel like they're invalid at this point? So I really think I'd be able to give a eulogistic tribute of Sophie. I could just skip the last time we hung out (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. say a lot of really beautiful things about her that I genuinely meant and just skip over this like one horrendous incident, but like just skip it over. Yeah. What feels bad to me is the recognizing myself in her eyes. I don't mind recognizing myself in the eyes of my friends critically. Like I actually think it helps me become a better person being like, oh, mm. this is probably not generous of me. And and like Casper would do better, right? Like I like trying to live up to my friends and and imagining myself both good and bad in their eyes. And I love and trust them. So I like want to live up to their image. And I think my friends love me and like see a good person. So like I love the validation of that. And I have no idea what Sophie thinks about me because I have no idea if she remembers that I'm Jewish. (laughs) But if she does, I do not like the sensation of recognizing myself in her eyes. And I don't recognize like if friendship is about the sensation of recognizing oneself in the eyes of another. I do not recognize myself in like that Jewish trope. Yeah. But I want to love the future. So part of me is like, so maybe I should tell Sophie what she did is wrong to like give her a chance to like be loved in the future by me. But I can't even tell you, I like, I believe in that and I profoundly don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. You don't believe in the fact that she can change. You don't believe in the telling her what, what's the bit that you don't believe. Oh no, I do believe she can change. I believe she can. I don't necessarily believe she will. And just like yeah. Ella was talking about, 
if it is like a million apologies, if it is any justification, which I'm pretty sure it will be, I have no desire for it. The idea actually makes me sick to my stomach. I'm like so tired of watching people say anti-Semitic things, mildly anti-Semitic things and back them up. And I feel like I've had to endure quite a lot of that, even in close friendships of hearing just like, Mm. oh, you don't look Jewish or, oh, you look Jewish. Like I've had a thousand comments like that in my life that I've Mm -hmm. overlooked. And this one is so egregious. I'm just like, I don't have to overlook it. I like, I'm almost grateful to her that it was so awful because I'm like, I just don't have to do the thing where I'm like, what does look Jewish mean? That's right. So I have this ethic of believing in the future. And on this case, I'm like, I don't care that I believe in the future. Well, I'm hearing you say something a little different, which is that like, you believe in her capacity and her future and who knows what that holds. It just doesn't need to be in relationship to you. Yeah. I I don't hear you describe a future for the friendship. I hear you describe a future for her and like God willing and, you know, may she learn better ways and do some reflection and find ways to grow into a person. I'm sure she wants to be too. Right. But you don't have to do that and you don't have to do that in relationship. And so it feels like two out of the three things here are pretty clear. You don't recognize yourself in, in her image of you, nor do you see a future relationship. The thing that you still feel good about is the past is like these experiences you've shared, the friendship you had, except for that one day, which was your most recent encounter, you could tell a beautiful story about who she is. Right. But what you're saying now is making me feel like, but I can't tell a beautiful story about her Mm -hmm. because it ends with her saying something horrible. And like, I don't owe her editing that out. And so maybe I shouldn't be the person to eulogize her because I would be like, you'd be lying. Right. Like I would just be skipping a huge thing. So I don't think I can even eulogize her. So I feel like we've really reconfirmed, right, that this is not a question of if the friendship has come to an end from your perspective. And it's a question of how. Is there something in how Sue talks about Derrida that gives you a sense of how you how you might end it? Yeah, it's made me realize I really thought that this question was about Sophie and it's entirely about Katie. Oh, interesting. I honestly think like, why am I pretending? Why am I double tapping these messages? Why am I still following her on Instagram? I owe her nothing. I can block her and unfollow her. And if she ever reaches out, just not respond (laughs) and like, let her think I'm a bitch. I don't recognize myself in her eyes anyway. So I'm feeling like that's actually really clear. I'm completely fine ghosting this person. She made me into a ghost first. She projected something onto me that isn't real and that is awful. And so bye, which makes this question entirely about Katie. I actually want to challenge you a little bit before we go to Katie. I was touched by what you said at the beginning of the episode about how you felt like you owed something to her. Like I hear the frustration and the absolute justified reaction of being like, no, you just went on a five minute rant. What happens if you were in Charlottesville? Like that becomes very quickly, very frightening. And so I I really don't want to push you in a way that puts you in a sense of, of danger. But I do want to pick up on that sense of you have this shared history. Is there not something that you owe her beyond ghosting? I mean, maybe and maybe one day I'll feel capable of it. I feel like a lot of pressure is being put on me right now as a Jew. People are like demanding commentary from me about Mm -hmm. Israel, Palestine. People are like constantly conflating 
Israelis and Jews, and they're constantly conflating all Israelis with each other. Mm-hmm. And there's a rise in anti-Semitism in the United States and all over the world. And so I just like, to, I don't feel like I owe her this. And I'm like tired of people asking me for things because I'm a Jew. And I haven't commented on like the tragedies in India that are going on right now or that mm. I haven't talked about free Tibet. And like, there are so many things that go on in the world. And I feel like people are just demanding this from me because I'm Jewish and mm-hmm. non-Jews are demanding it from me because I'm Jewish. When Jews ask, I feel more compelled. They're like, you're a public voice. And like, I would love to hear what you think. But mm. non-Jews are just like demanding things of me that I don't feel like I owe them. So I just, I'm like, mm. I don't know right now. I feel pretty strongly that I like don't owe people that. I mean, that's really clear. And I know people will be disappointed and mad at me for like, not saying things. Mm. And I've talked to people, right? Like Mm. I've gone to like people I respect who have like less skin in the game on this. And Mm. without me prompting them, they have said to me, you do not owe people this. And so I don't feel like it's just Mm -hmm. like this lazy instinct in me. I feel like I've done discerning on it. And so, yeah, I guess this is my public statement saying I'm not going to offer a public statement. Yeah. And I guess I just feel that about all my Judaism. Like I'm just allowed to talk about my experience of it without being a token for the rest of the world. So I feel, I think you have such clarity that like, you're not going to tell her, right? Like that's not the thing. The final question I have for you is, is, is it worth an email that simply says, Sophie, you know, I've, I've decided to bring our friendship to an end. Please don't follow up here don't contact me or some something that makes the implicit explicit in terms of the double taps, which will s- slowly become no taps at all, which will become a block. So it's not, it's not on the explanation of why, but it's the clarity of that it is over. I'm genuinely curious what you think about that. Cause I love doing shit like that because I, at the end of the day, <laughs> am a petty confrontational person. And so I am like <laughs> avoiding that has like become part of my maturing process being like, Uh, and like, that's why I didn't say anything in the car. I was like, I want to school you right now. And something I know about myself is that when I'm mad, I get hyper articulate and that can Mm -hmm. make people feel like they can't even argue with me. Like it feels like you can't get a word in edgewise. And I would argue it's because I'm right. But other people who I love and trust have told me it's not because I'm right. And it's just because when they get mad, they don't like that's not what their brains do. And so, yeah, I would love to send that email. Is that the right thing to do? Do I get to send that email? Because I I feel like I'm doing the right thing by just like staying quiet just because it's antithetical to my instinct. But maybe not every instinct I have is bad. So or my bad instincts can be used for good. Who knows? Well, I think there's a way of sending that email, which is yelling. And there's a way of emailing, which sounds like, you know, this city being like trash collection is on Thursday and this friendship is over. You know what I mean? Right. And I wouldn't. And even me in like hyper articulate mode. I don't get mean. I know. So I, it wouldn't be yelling. Let me tell you the email I would want to send. This is my instinct. Yeah. Hey, Sophie, I'm coming to your city in a few months and I'm aware of the fact that you might find out. And what I don't think you might know is that I don't want to be friends with you anymore because you said something super anti-Semitic the last time we talked. 
I don't want to hear back from you. I honestly don't want to hear your apologies or justifications. And I don't care what you have to say back. I just want to let you know that you might see that I'm in town and it's intentional that I'm not reaching out. Take care. Is that me being like, this is what she deserves? Look at my virtue. I'm such a good person. Let's look at your second text. <laughs> what does what does the second text say? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And for the record, I freaking love that email, but I want to take us to the second text to find out if we're both right. You're so good. Okay. So my second text is the American version of The Office. (laughs) Great. And it is like one of my all-time favorite moments in TV that I'm about to bring you. So for setup, The Office was an NBC sitcom that ran for nine seasons. It is like one of my all-time favorite shows. My friend Duke and I used to get together on Thursday nights and like make pasta and drink $1 beers and watch The Office. It, like, it, It's just like a central text in my life that I love so, so, so much. And so w- one of the things that happens in The Office over the first like four seasons, it takes a really long time, is that Jim can see Pam at work and Pam's engaged to a jerk and Jim is just pining for Pam and in love with her. And Pam, it turns out, is in love with Jim too, and they get together. And Pam eventually gets promoted so that Jim and Pam's desks are right next to each other. And in season seven or eight of The Office, Jim decides that it's time to leave, at least part-time, from this job and pursue a dream. And Jim's desk is in, like, prime office real estate. He's got a great desk. Like, everyone wants his desk. And he's decided that it is in his power to decide who takes over. And he interviews everyone (laughs) without telling them that he is. He interviews people as to who should get his desk for who should be (laughs) able 
to sit next to his beautiful wife, Pam. So what we are about to hear is a conversation between Jim and Clark. And Jim, quote unquote, stealthily interviews Clark. Clark will speak first. Hey, Jim, uh, do you mind if I look over these price sheets before my interview? Sure, yeah, go ahead. Thanks, dude. You sure it's okay? Did you kind of? Yeah, absolutely. Do people like sitting next to you? They're clean, right? Dove men. Nice. Music, do you listen to it in earbuds? You don't listen to it at all, because we're at work, out of Florence in the Machine concert, so. Yeah, can I just have a minute to prepare for this? Sure, yeah, do whatever you need to do. Right after you do one thing for me. I need you to breathe in my face. Why? I need you to breathe in my face right now. What are we working with, peppermint or wintergreen? Wintergreen. I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. Good news. I you coming around, and I said wintergreen. Okay, so then after this conversation with Clark, Jim does what the office does a lot, which is a direct-to-camera address where he is telling you what is going on and why he was up to what he was up to. No, it does matter who ends up sitting next to Pam when I'm gone. The people around you are basically who you end up spending your life with. I mean, because of where my desk was, I spent all those years looking at Pam. And I fell in love. So that stuff matters. Definitely does. I mean, I love the whole interaction. I love that he's like, earbuds, how do you smell? Like, he has these really high standards for Pam. (laughs) But I love this line of the people around you are basically who you end up spending your life with. Mm -hmm. It's true. And I just love how high stakes it makes it. Like, who you sit next to is who you spend your life with. And I don't want to spend my life with Sophie. <laughs> so how does this speak to that email? I really need your help on it because I just want to send the email. I feel like I could use this line. The people around me are the people who I'm spending my life with. And I don't want to be around you. Take care. So I feel like Jim would tell us that absolutely you could send the email. But I feel like there's a nuance here, which is maybe helpful to distinguish, which is, is the email for Sophie? Because, you know, she deserves more than just being ghosted. Or is the email for you and your integrity? Yeah, that's the thing. And I I think what you're helping me realize is that maturity is not going against your instincts, (laughs) like as default. Like that's about self-loathing, not maturity. (laughs) But it's about knowing what your instinct is and being like, that's an interesting instinct. And then deciding what's best. And it could be that your gut was great. And it could be that your gut is wrong. And so I love that, right? Like my gut is to send this email. And so then my secondary gut is like, that probably means you shouldn't. (laughs) But like that (laughs) doesn't matter. I'm trying to think what is better for Sophie. So if I don't send the email, one of two things could happen. She will find out that Katie and I hung out and she'll be sad and hurt that I didn't reach out. And we'll be like, oh, now that Katie moved back to this city, suddenly Vanessa's too busy for me. Like she only wanted to see me when Katie wasn't around. Or she could think it was a mistake and show up with Katie or Katie could ask if she could show up or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I have to be Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to see you or like act fake. And like, I don't want to do any of that. So I guess it sounds like I have to send the email. (laughs) Well, that takes us to then the second question. And I, and I personally, I think you're right. I think the email is the right thing to do for her and for you. 
But now comes the maybe even trickier part, which is what about Katie? I mean, I think that email might be also a good form for Katie because it gives her a chance to think about what she wants her response to be. And Mm -hmm. it protects me from maybe watching what her first instinct is, as someone who knows that my first instinct isn't always good. Because like we all have first instincts that we're not proud of, right? Like we all have racist first instincts and sexist first instincts and... And so like, I don't want to, I don't want to be judging her for her first instinct. I want to be judging her for the conclusion that she comes to and the action that that turns into. And so I think maybe an email, like explaining the situation and being able to say, and I've made this really clear to Sophie and then just like, see, and like, maybe she's going to think I'm a drama queen or like a hypersensitive Jew. And like, that's on her and like, I'll deal with Mm -hmm. the hurt from that. But like. I believe in a future of Katie, of me and Katie. And I, for the most part, really like what I see in Katie's eyes and feel like when she sees things I don't like, it helps me grow. And I could eulogize Katie beautifully because she's exceptional. So I think that she ticks all the Derrida boxes. So I owe both of them emails. I just owe them both very different emails. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I want to sit next to Katie. Like, I want to spend my life next to Katie. And you're willing to say the hard thing, which might expose something that then you wouldn't want to sit next to her. I, I, that's that's what I'm hearing in the risk with this email to Katie is that you're going to tell her the truth and you're not going to put yourself in a position of seeing her immediate reaction, but you are going to allow the, the, the potential, and please God, it do, that's not the case, that she has a reaction that also closes the door on that friendship. I think that's the thing which is most brave about this is like, you're telling the truth about what matters to you and you're willing to see who is worth sitting next to you in the office after that. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't have wintergreen, which is the best. But I look around the corner when she walks in and I see wintergreen. I see wintergreen. How does it feel? You've, you've thought about this question a lot. You've looked at it with a little bit of help from Sue and Derrida and Jim and Clark at the office. And you. Like, how does it feel? And me. I'm really excited to send the email to Sophie. That feels great. I'm very nervous about sending the email to Katie. But I don't think that that's about mm. Katie at all. Like, Katie's great. I think that this is about me, like, still feeling some shame about ways that I acted 20 years ago. And being like, oh, does she still mm. think I'm that person? I don't know. Katie was like so supportive when I went through like a breakup where I was just Mm. insufferable. It was like all I would talk about for like months. I was just so self-absorbed and she was just so good to me throughout that. And I feel like I feel embarrassed by like how self-absorbed I was. And so it was like 20 years ago. (laughs) I think I can forgive myself for it and count on the fact that Katie doesn't still think I'm that person and just send the email. Hmm. I will say that I think this is sometimes the benefit of these hard conversations and these boundary drawing conversations because they bring up like the thing that's behind the thing and that you can finally put that to rest. And I don't know if you've had a conversation about that experience 20 years ago with her, but that might be part of the email, right? Of like, I'm nervous to send this because A, B, and C, Yeah. but I really want you to hear me when I say, you know, D, E, F. Because it will make your friendship stronger with Katie and she'll want to breathe in your face every time you ask. Yeah. 
I love that because I've been afraid that it'll weaken my relationship, but I think you're right. I have, I have faith that it will strengthen it if I take that opportunity. So I really do. I know that sounds cheesy, but like, I, <laughs> I really do. Well, otherwise you wouldn't be investing in it. I mean, that that's what I love about what you said with the Derrida quote of like, you see the future with her and it's, and it's one of closer connection. That's worth fighting for, right? Like that's worth doing the hard thing for. Well, I'm proud of you. Well, Casper, I would like to thank, I don't know. I don't think I want to thank Derrida. I want to thank Hua Tzu for translating Derrida for me. Thank you. Amen. I would like to thank the character of Jim who has given me romantic fodder in my imagination for years. Love you, Jimbo. (laughs) And I would very much like to thank you, Casper. I really appreciate you accompanying me on this journey. Mm. And I also want to thank Charlotte in Nordrhein-Westfalia in Germany, who is sharing this week's aphorism, her little wisdom quote with us. And it's actually from the German Constitution, Article 1. This is how it starts. Human dignity is inviolable, which feels very apropos for today. Thank you, Charlotte. And I would like to ask everybody to please send in voicemails for what do you do in a group situation when you are bored? It happens to me a lot. I have friends who like knit or needlepoint, and I feel like that's a great option, but I don't do those things and I have no interest in doing those things. So I'm looking for inspiration. (laughs) What do you do when you're bored? Well, you've been listening to The Real Question. We can only make this show thanks to your support. So if you have the means to help out, please check out our fabulous Patreon at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. There's bloopers every week. There's an extra Lectio Divina. It's super fun. In this week's blooper reel, you will hear me sing in sync. (laughs) If you love the show, you can also leave us a review on iTunes and spread the word. Share us on social media. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Real Question Pod and on Twitter at The Real Q Pod. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producers, the great and good Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Nick Bull. We are distributed by Acast. We want to thank Ella for their voicemail, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Paulsell, and each and every one of our patrons. We are so grateful. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Hi, everyone. It's Vanessa. A little postscript on today's episode. I ended up doing both things that Casper and I discerned were the right things for me to do. And it turns out that I know exactly who Katie is. And she's awesome. She was completely supportive and loving and ended her email by saying, quote, you and I are free to do whatever we want here, worry free and anti-Semitic comments free. So I love you, Katie, and I love you, Casper, and thank you, everyone, for listening to me figure this out. Okay, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 